0: M S W Media Hey, this is Tiffany Thiessen and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn Well, pour yourself a glass Sit for a spill it's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking, and a drinking. Well, this is what we're drinking with and done. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we're drinking. Today, I'm drinking anyway, is a uh, Glenn Grant 15-year-old batch strength single malt scotch whiskey. Um, I need it. Uh, back in the 6th century, the Arabs of Mesopotamia were distilling spirits from grapes for medicinal reasons and perfume. And uh, uh, Celtic missionaries got a whiff of the stuff and they brought it back uh, to Scotland, the distilling techniques. So we've got two diverse cultures to thank for this uh, whiskey, the Glen Grant 15, which Jim Murray, legendary whiskey expert Jim Murray, called the 2018 Scotch of the Year. Um, the experience is pure joy. It really is. Yeah, fruity, dessert-like, a little bit of vanilla, some pear slices, 100 proof. It's a 180-year-old brand. Again, Glen Grant 15, Batch-strength single malt, it's $80 a bottle, and that is what I'm using to fortify myself today. And I'll be honest, I need it. I am rattled. I just watched a briefing from the White House in which, uh, A, Dr. Tony Fauci, who's been the main source of accurate information, uh, he's made people feel a lot better, I think, in this country, he was conspicuously absent from the White House uh, press briefing today, and this coming on the heels of some damning statements he made about President Trump in an interview over the weekend. The other thing from this press conference, uh, Trump announced that all that stuff that the scientists and medical professionals are telling us about, you know, stuff we're going to need to do to stop the spread this virus, this deadly virus, stuff that he himself claimed to agree with just a few days ago, well, that's all bullshit, apparently. He was trumpeting an argument that was uh, put forth, I think, probably first by the Wall Street Journal a few days ago. Uh, he, Trump now says that things are going to be back to normal in a week or so. We're, we're going to be soon back in business, is how he put it, because business is all that matters right now, right? Uh, we're not going to let the cure be worse than the problem. So I, don't, I guess that means millions of people can die as long as the uh, stock market goes back up or yeah. Jesus fucking Christ, I just can't with this guy anymore. So instead, I'm going to do what I've been doing the past few episodes while on quarantine, and I'm going to tell you a story. The less fortunate, is what my grandma used to call them, those folks whose grimy, impecunious fingers clung to rungs beneath ours on the economic ladder— which is to say homeless people and cockroaches, because when I was growing up in northeast Philly, even the economic ladder we clung to was metaphorical. We couldn't afford a real one. But for as bad as things were back then, Grandma never let us lose sight of the fact that the less fortunate were out there, hungry and tired and available for her to look down upon. Ah, bless her heart. She could always find the silver lining, right up until the day she had a stroke while on her way to Horn and Hardart for the $1.29 early bird special. Grandma never really was the same again after that. She stopped doing all those little grandmotherly things, like breathing. Now I'm well aware that the adorable little shit show of a waking nightmare we're experiencing right now is going to swell the ranks of the less fortunate to proportions few, if any of us, could have ever imagined. I mean, I'm just hoping my line of work is still going to be viable. I mean, after all, when times are tough, do people stop drinking? No. If anything, they drink more. Yeah, don't mind if I do. Mm. But they do start drinking cheaper. Some turning to concoctions that, while cost-efficient, really have no business being put into the human body. Um, Stuff like the white trash Russian. If you've yet to have the pleasure, this is a toxic combo of rock gut vodka and hoo that I used to drink back in college. I'm almost certain it did irreparable damage to my stomach lining and possibly my central nervous system. Uh, then again, it did the job. I got so fucked up that for an entire you know, college <laughs> years, I forgot how broke my ass was. But is there such a thing as a good poor man's cocktail? Surely not every cheap drink out there tastes like sterno and makes you piss blood, right? I mean, back when going outside was still allowed, I'd see guys drinking out of styrofoam cups while munching on, like, pigs in a blanket and cheese puffs at the local park. And they looked so goddamn happy. What was in those cups? I got some ideas. Maybe it was a poor man's margarita, tequila, and squirt, which is very popular out here in the western states. When I lived back east, when I was younger, me and the paupers I used to party with would drink Purple Passions, which was Welch's grape juice and grain alcohol. Yummy. Uh, one time in Denver, I had a delightfully named concoction called Pea in a Cup, and that was Mountain Dew and Everclear, served warm for verisimilitude, of course. Some of the guys in my old neighborhood in Philly used to specialize in what was known as the Colt Python, which delivers a similar wallop as its eponymous handgun. That's a few shots of whatever cheap whiskey was on sale at the state store. Add that to a half quart of Colt 45 malt liquor. Uh, Then there's the mecca for white trash everywhere. I used to hang out when I was a youth. The Jersey Shore. We go to parties that serve skippies. Those are made by stirring up a bottle of shit vodka, a case of natural light and lemonade mix in a trash can or a beer tub. Throw a bunch of ice in there. Add a fake tan and stupidity and you got yourself a party. Jersey Shore. Uh, no, but seriously, I've done my research on, on this, folks. And, and and even in the later years, I've done my research. Once upon a time, a couple years ago, I hit the closest liquor store by my house uh, here in Venice Beach called Davy Jones Liquor Locker, which isn't so much a final resting place for dead semen as it is the killing fields for homeless people's livers. So the guy named Vlad behind the counter told me that the cheapest drunk in the store was a tie between a pint of pop-off vodka and an abomination called Kessler American Blended Whiskey, which bills itself as... Smooth as silk. I'd venture it's more of a silk burlap blend. Uh, In the interest of science, because they were only $5 a pop, I bought them both. But after some brief experiments with the Kessler, I lost all interest in science, and instead I became fascinated by something written on the side of the bottle of Pop Off. It said, NOW, all in caps, N-O-W, exclamation point, unbreakable bottle. Now this seems like a handy trait uh, in a product that makes people lose the coordination required to carry things. Plus, I like this sense of urgency generated by the caps and the exclamation point. It's as if they're daring you not to start drinking as soon as you hit the parking lot. In my lubricated state, however, I saw this less as a service to the consumer than as a prideful boast, which is how I ended up dropping a bottle of pop off vodka off my fourth story balcony, and how the cops found out where I lived. Which is how I came to make a video in which I dropped this bottle, okay? Uh, You can check it out on YouTube. Just uh, put in Dan Dunn Pop-Off Vodka. It's P-O-P-O-V. Dan Dunn Pop-Off Vodka. Amazingly, however, uh, while the pop-off did lose structural integrity in the fall, let's just say it'll break you before you break it. And so, impoverished boozehounds, remember there's always hope. It's just that hope is currently out of work and wondering how the fuck to pay the rent. So it's going by an assumed name these days. That clever alias? pop-off vodka. Sure, it may not be as invincible as the fancy happy juice. I mean, I once heard about a case of Kettle One that survived an airplane crash. But at least you can rest easy knowing that even if you do manage to break a plastic bottle of pop-off, you can still drink out of it without fear of slicing up your small intestine with shards of glass. How's that for a silver lining, grandma? So call me less fortunate if you will. I'll call me anything you'd like. I won't be listening, because I'm pretty sure the pop-off made me go deaf. Now, say what you will about the classlessness of what I just told you about its buzz-at-any-cost mentality, but it's how a lot of people drink in the real world, frankly. And this is one of those uncomfortable facts usually conveniently overlooked by people in my trade. We booze pundits like to tell ourselves that we're arbiters of some kind of high-minded gourmet sensibility because we explore and elucidate, say, the subtle distinction between strains of yeast used in malt fermentation or the sophisticated chemistry of how to infuse flavors into recipes— but the truth is, the only reason we cover the good stuff is because rich people like to get fucked up on the good stuff, and they need someone to tell them about it. Most people, however, will settle for just getting fucked up. The place I learned the most about people just wanting to get fucked up was P&Js, the Philly joint my dad used to take me to when I was seven. I had plenty of time to learn because while technically my old man and I went there together, we didn't get much in the way of quality time, at least not once we got inside. See, Booze was always hanging out there, and Dad had been friends with Booze a lot longer than he'd known me. So they'd talk for a while privately, and I never knew what kind of mood he'd be in afterwards. Best to steer clear just in case. Then after a little while, Booze would usually meet some chicks and introduce them to Dad, and they'd all start talking. I sure as shit knew not to interrupt him then. Sounds bad, but looking back on it now, I can't honestly blame him for all this. Dad was young and single, and he liked Booze a lot. What else was a guy like that expected to do in a bar except drink and hit on women? And The geniuses among you might point out that he might have started by not taking his kid to the bar every day, but honestly, I don't think it didn't to him not to. Anyway, I don't believe I suffered much as a result of his actions. If anything, his questionable behavior taught me to be independent and gave me some of the best pickup moves in my repertoire. Plus, Dad being preoccupied with Jack Daniels and Jane Doe simply meant I got to spend more time with tall Paul. Tall Paul was the P in P&Js, the owner, head bartender, and karmic standard bearer of the establishment. He was like six foot seven, 250-pound behemoth, renowned for his kind, humorous nature and large, sledgehammer-like fists. He was a teddy bear most of the time, but woe betide troublemakers who attempted to make their trouble in his joint. Because if tempers flared and reconciliation failed, Tall Paul could kick the living shit out of anyone this side of Superman. To me, though, he was a gentle and benevolent giant who always made sure my glass was filled with coke and that I never ran out of change for the pinball machine. He even gave me my very own, very tall stool so I could see over the tops of the pool and shuffleboard tables. Kept it safely stored behind the giant barrel of pretzel mix next to the men's bathroom. I used to live on that pretzel mix. Till the day I witnessed a grubby old degenerate exit the bathroom without bothering to wash his hands after taking a crap, then plunge his grubby shit digits into the beloved barrel. From that moment on, at P&J's, I subsisted wholly on bags of pork rinds and munchos. What I remember most about Tall Paul, and the thing for which I am most indebted to him, is that he introduced me to a bar's most mysterious and magical space. The bar itself, behind the stick, the holiest of holies. There he laid the foundation for much of what would come to matter most to me later in life, and indeed for the podcast you're listening to right now. It wasn't playtime back there, mind you. Tall Paul wouldn't stand for anyone playing grab-ass behind his bar. It was a place where serious work got done, and he taught me how to do it, too. Showed me how to make screwdrivers, Bloody Marys, and Rusty Nails— Actual drinks that were served to actual people who tipped me actual currency. I mean, usually it was a dime, but hey, back then that was two credits on the pinball machine. It was my first summer internship, but it was beyond kick-ass. So what, that my dad was too busy getting lit or trying to get laid to pay attention to me? I was the only seven-year-old in the entire neighborhood who knew how to clear beer lines and change a keg. You think other kids my age understood what it meant when someone ordered from the top shelf instead of the well? Or what the letters on the soda gun stood for? that a plastic shot cut turned upside down in front of a customer at the bar meant Tall Paul was buying his next round. Other kids my age were planted in front of TVs, watching Tom and Jerry reruns while I was slinging gin and learning invaluable lessons about commerce, toxicology, and the herbs of Led Zeppelin, Rod Stewart, and Thin Lizzy. But I think the most important things I learned in P&Js had to do with self-discipline and personal responsibility. Some of this came from watching the way people acted in there, and what happened to them when they abdicated the above? But much of what I surmised about how you should act in a bar came courtesy of a weathered set of handwritten rules tacked to the wall, right next to a framed photo of John F. Kennedy, and still recite them verbatim. Here we go. It's P and J's rules of behavior. There was a note right below, and it said, "The following rules are non-negotiable, unless your idea of a negotiation is getting knocked upside the head, in which case feel free to consult the management." Number one rule. Can't afford to tip, you can't afford to be here. Number two, your bartender is not afraid to stomp you into tomorrow. As a reminder, he is armed and sober. Soberer than you, anyway. Number three, if we see you arguing with inanimate objects, you are cut off. Number four, pricing for, fielding, you gotta remember, this is pre-cell phone, so pricing for fielding calls from angry wives. One dollar, they'll say, just left. Two dollars, not here. For five dollars, haven't seen them all day. Number five, if you're drinking to forget, please pay in advance. Number six, no swearing unless you're swearing to buy the next goddamn round. Seven, don't put any shit in the toilet besides shit. Eight, if you reach behind the bar, be prepared to lose an arm. Nine, P&J's closes at 2 a.m. sharp every day, unless we close early or stay open late. And finally, number ten, we reserve the right to refuse service to Dallas Cowboys fans. A Philly bar. Sadly, the visits to P&J's with my dad abruptly ended after my mother was released from a mental institution. This is something I touched upon in a recent episode, I think about two episodes ago. Come on, people, try and keep up. Uh, Well-meaning relatives had told me mom had gone to a farm to get some rest for a few months. Uh, Apparently, failing to kill yourself is immensely tiring. When she learned my dad had been taking me to a bar most days, she seemed to recover her energy, however went after him with a frying pan out in front of our apartment building, and see my dad for a few years after that. But I did see booze. That guy still hung out at P&J's, even though dad didn't. I wandered by the bar pretty regularly for a few weeks after the summer ended. I never got up the nerve to go inside without my old man, though. I just waited out on the curb, watching people come and go, always hoping the door would swing open and Tall Paul would be standing there smiling, a roll of dimes in one hand and a glass of Coke in the other. Come on in, little Dunn, he'd say. Where the hell you been? Support for What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn comes from Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Listen, folks, when it comes to dating, it's a jungle out there. But when you do find someone who wants to take you home, you better make sure it's not a jungle down there. That's why I use Manscaped, a revolutionary electric trimmer that makes accidents a thing of the past. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Take my word on this. No, seriously, you don't want to Google snag your nuts. It's going to take you down a dark road. Another reason to get Manscaped is that you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Oh, and Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why not use it on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRINKING at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code DRINKING. And always use the right tools for the job. Always use Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. And well, that's going to be it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate you coming by. We're going to get some interviews going soon, I think. We're going to do them remotely. But for right now, you know, try to keep your shit together, people.